Jesus Christ. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that this Wednesday night we're back in church. Tell the truth. How many of you showed up Wednesday night? Anybody? Good, because nobody was here. We were, I was out looking at buildings for our church, and, and, uh, but we weren't in church. And uh, this Wednesday night, though, we're beginning again. And we're going to go through 2 Peter. And I want to just encourage you, invite you to come. I'm going to be handing out the study guide that I put together uh, on Jude. Hey, Jude. Just like I did the one on 1 John, I'm going to hand out the one for Jude this Wednesday night. You can have it and take it home and read through it. And uh, then we're going to begin 2 Peter. I'm going to tell you, 2 Peter sizzles with truth. I know that I'm going to get into end-time prophecy. How could you not get into end-time prophecy when the whole world is readying itself for another war and all the players that the Bible places on the scene at that time are now on the scene. And we're going to talk about that as we go through Second Peter. If there was ever a day you ought to be looking up because your redemption draws nigh, it ought to be now. Because he is near, Jesus said, even at the door. But that's Wednesday night. Let's stand together and we're going to read Matthew 13 and I'm going to read you, take you through half of it. Kathy said, Jeff, it's too long to keep them up the whole time. So I'm going to submit to her and I'm going to read part of it and then you can sit down and I'll read the rest. But uh, anyway, praise the Lord. I want to talk to you today about weeds with the seeds. Weeds with the seeds or the parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the wheat and the tares. Beginning in verse 24, it says another parable he put forth to them. Now, what's a parable? It's a simple illustration of spiritual truth. It's a physical illustration of spiritual truth. So, another illustration of spiritual truth he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. We would say weeds among the seeds. Verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Didn't you sow Bermuda grass? Where are these weeds from? That's what he's saying. Then in verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. There are times where the Lord will speak to your heart, and he'll give you discernment, and he'll say this to you. This situation in your life, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. This trouble that you're experiencing, this marital discord, these financial problems, you know, I cannot tell you how often Kathy and I are being contacted about serious marital problems out there amongst people. Spirit-filled, word-believing, Bible-attending, or Bible-reading, church-attending people all the time. We've dealt with three this week. I want to say an enemy has done that. We need to begin to recognize the weeds, that which the enemy sows, as opposed to the wheat, that which God sows. So, verse 28, the, the servants said to him, well, if an enemy's done this, do you want us then to go and gather them up? You want us to go weed pulling? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, 
first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand. Give us eyes to see. Change us. Rearrange us. Lord, renew our minds today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I want to read to you Jesus' own interpretation of the parable. It says in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Man, boss, we don't get it. Now, that's the revised Wickwire version. But that's kind of what was, Boss, we don't get it. What were you saying? Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he answered and said to them, Here's what I was saying to you. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is the one who sows the seed of the kingdom. Right now, I'm sowing seed, the seed of the kingdom, into your heart. But guess what? The Holy Ghost is taking it and winging it into your heart, opening your understanding. And really, behind me, Jesus is sowing the good seed into your heart. So the sower of the seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus sows you and me as children of the kingdom into the field, into the world. And this is what we need to get out of these parables. Now, he goes on. The enemy or the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The weeds are the sons of the wicked one. Now I want you to catch what Jesus is telling us here. That there's two kinds of people in the world. There's no riding the fence. You are either a son of the wicked one. That means you have not been born again yet. And if you have not been born again, then you're a son of the wicked one. I was one. Kathy was one. It's hard to believe, but she was. And, and we were all children of the wicked one until we got born again. Then we became a son of the kingdom. But if you're a son of the wicked one, then the enemy sows you into the world to further corrupt it, to spread wickedness, to live wickedly, and to have a wicked, evil, negative, anti-God, anti-Christ influence. That's what sons of the evil one do. And then there are the sons of the kingdom, and they are sowed by Jesus Christ. If you're a son of God, a daughter of God, then Jesus sows you into the world so that you would have an influence for righteousness. He sows you into the ground of this world. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But now, look at verse 39. The enemy who sowed the tares is the devil. The harvest is the end of this age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. So much for there's no hell. I want you to hear this. As the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather them out of his kingdom. All things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I've always believed that part of the wailing and gnashing of teeth is when you realize what you could have had and you lost it. When you see what you could have had, but you lost it. Remember the rich man who died. And it says he was able to look up and see Abraham. 
and he wanted a drink of water and there was no water. To me, part of hell is going to be realizing what you could have had and you don't get it. You can't get it. It's too late. It's eternally too late. Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Can I have an amen today? Amen. So if you've got ears to hear, I pray that you do, because I believe that we need to understand these parables as children of God. I believe these are the primary, most important parables for us to understand. Now, last week, we learned the parable of the sower. Four spiritual nuggets from the parable of the sower. And here's what we learned. First of all, let me quickly recap. You are a seed of promise who Jesus the sower has sown as a righteous influence into the world. You are a seed of promise. When you got saved, you became not only a recipient of the seed of the Word of God, but then God took you, Jesus took you, He's the sower, and He sowed you as a seed into the ground of this world. He expects you to influence the ground He sowed you into. Now, I want you to catch this. He said there's four things that happen to every child of the kingdom that is sown into the ground of the world. Now, if you're a child of the kingdom of God, if you know you've been born again, can you say amen? amen. Well, that's kind of convincing. That's not even hardly a, that's an early service, amen. Let's try this again. If you know you're born again and you're a child of God, can you say amen? amen. Well, I don't like to brag about it. Brag about it. You're supposed to brag about it. Brag on Jesus. But now watch this. He said, he said, he takes the sons of the kingdom and the daughters of the kingdom and sows them into the ground of this world. The parable of the sower is two-part. We receive the seed of the Word of God into our hearts. And Simon Peter said, You were born again, not of corruptible seed, and not by the will of man or the will of flesh, but you have been born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. So one day, somewhere, some way, someday, back then, you heard the gospel, and the gospel was like a seed, and it was sown into your heart. And when it was sown into your heart, you said, I receive this seed into the ground of my heart. And in receiving it, you became saved. You said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. And when you did that, His Word came into your heart, and you were born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. But now, the parable of the sower is two-part, because then Jesus took you as a seed of the kingdom, a child of the kingdom, and sowed you into the ground of this world. You say, well, where is my ground? Your ground is wherever you are. That's your ground, where you're working, where you're, you live, your neighborhood, the people you're around. That's your ground. He sowed you there. You know, I was thinking that uh, the, here's the, the Gadarene demoniac, and the Gadarene demoniac gets delivered of all those devils, and then he says to Jesus, let me follow you and be one of your disciples. And Jesus said, no, that is not for you to do. He said, go home and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. You know what Jesus was doing? He was sowing him into his home. He said, I, that's your ground. I want you to go and have an influence for the kingdom of God in the ground I've sown you into. So all of us are sown seed. This church is a sown seed, and we're praying for the best ground we can find. I want it fertilized. I want it ready for us so that when he sows us, he sows us to influence the ground that we've been sown into. 
So, so this is the whole idea. Not only did we receive the word, the seed of the word, but then we became seed in the hands of Jesus. Now, Jesus said four things happened to the children of the kingdom sown. He said one of them is sown by the wayside. They are sown into the ground. And I want you to keep this in your mind as I tell you this. They are sown into the ground. And as they're sown into the ground of the kingdom of God, the Bible says that the ground becomes what it becomes because of what happens to the word in their heart. They're all sown into the same ground. They're all sown into the same ground. But what the ground becomes, it becomes because of what happens to the word in their heart. So the first one is sown by the wayside. And it says the enemy, when this person is sown, comes and steals the word of God out of their heart. He steals the word that was spoken to them out of their heart and they fall away. And that's the ground by the wayside. The ground is not influenced at all by them being sown into it. The second one was sown by, in, by stony places. Well, the reason it becomes stony and, and rock-like is because it says because of persecution and criticism for them being in the kingdom, being Christians, walking with Jesus, they, they are offended and they walk away from Jesus Christ because of persecution. And when they walk away, that's why the ground was stony because of what happened to the Word of God in their heart. It was choked in their heart. And because it was choked, the ground was not influenced positively by them. Then you got the seed sown among thorns. And it says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, pursuing the illusion of, of great money, chokes the word and the ground becomes unfruitful. And instead of bringing forth the kingdom of God, it brings forth thorns for them and they are not successful. So watch this. Because of unbelief, because of fear, and because of worry, the first three types of people sown into the ground do not bring forth fruit. How many of you don't want to be one of them? We got a case of the no-nods today. I think I don't want to be. How many of you don't want to be one of them? I don't want to be one of them. Then Jesus said, then there's the seed sown on the good ground. He said it brings forth a hundred and some sixty and some thirtyfold. Well, what is the difference? It says this person brought forth fruit with patience. They did not yield to unbelief. They didn't let fear stop them. And they didn't let distractions take them away and detour them from bringing forth fruit. And they brought forth fruit. This is true of individuals. This is true of churches. This is true of nations. Folks, listen. God is a sower of seed. He has sown you. He has sown me. He has sown this church. He has sown every church out there. And how many of you can say, I've seen churches that were sown and they fell by the wayside. They went in stony ground. They were sown among thorns. They have not brought forth the, uh, the fruit of the kingdom of God. Nobody's being saved. Nobody's being changed. It looks pretty dead to me. I don't see any change. That's because what God intended them to do, they have not brought forth. I want to go into good ground. I want to bear forth, bear fruit with patience. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you that you would go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain. Amen. So can you say with me, I am a seed. I am a, I am a promise. I am a 
I am a possibility, the old children's song says, that I quoted last week, and I'm going to do it again. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. All of you are. You are a kingdom seed. Jesus has invested his life in you, his Holy Ghost in you, his word in you. He saved you. He called you out from the mass of humanity, tapped you on the shoulder, convicted you of your sin, brought you to the foot of the cross, brought you to the place of repentance, filled you with his Holy Ghost, filled you with his word, let you know that you're a child of destiny. Now he says, you're my investment. I'm sowing you into the ground. I want you to go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain. You know, it blesses me when somebody from way, way a long time ago will come along and say to me, hey, I heard you share the word years and years ago and it changed my life. You know what that is? That's fruit that remains. There is a man in here today, grabbed me in the foyer out there right before I came in. He said, you may not remember me, but in 1979, you married me and my wife. And he said, I heard you on the radio. Can that be him? And he said, I'm here to see if it was you and it's you. He said, that word that I heard on the radio really blessed me. Your touch from God on my life goes all the way back to 1979. You know what that is? That's fruit that remains. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you to influence the ground of the kingdom that you're in. You are an influencer. You are a very inspirational, important personality. Come on, everybody. Your success as a seed of the kingdom depends on what happens to the word in your heart. Already share that. Unbelief, fear, or worry can choke the word where you become unfruitful. The third thing we showed you last week is Satan will try the same things today that, it, that Jesus talked about in his parable. He'll try the same things on you today. He will try to, to sabotage your potential by unbelief, by fear and by distraction through worry and through unwise, ungodly pursuits. And you will bear fruit if you continue in his word with patience. It takes patience. Now here's another children's song. Be patient, be patient, don't be in such a hurry. Anybody recognize this yet? Be patient, be patient. Something like you don't have to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times God has been patient with you. Now, you got to be patient. I'm telling you, patience is the pace of the race. You've got to be patient. Just get up every day and keep going. Minister the Word. Minister the life. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Just get up and take another step forward in the kingdom of God. Be patient. And he said, these people who brought forth 160 and 30-fold and positively influenced the ground that they were sown into brought forth fruit with patience. Amen. Now, if you read Matthew 13, you'll see that the first four parables in Matthew 13 are dealing with the reality of the church being under attack and experiencing adversity until Jesus comes again. That's what the four first parables have to do with, the church being under attack and experiencing it until Jesus comes again. Now, in this parable of the wheat and the tares or the weeds among the seeds, we're going to see the devil sowing tares among the wheat. 
or weeds among the seeds. Now in this parable of the tares and the wheat, Jesus is the sower who went out and sowed seed. And the seed was the sons of the kingdom. So Jesus is giving us a picture. I'm sowing you. I want you to see you in here. Put your name in here. I'm sowing you in the ground of the world. You've been touched by the kingdom of God. You've got Jesus inside of you. And I'm sowing you into the world. What was he after? He's after a harvest, a wheat harvest. He's after fruit. You're an investment. Jesus is an investor. You are his investment. He's invested in you, and he sows the seed into the ground. And he says, now, in your world, influence people. You are the light of the world. A light dispels darkness. You are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves from decay. Jesus says, I've sown you as a light into the world. Wherever I put you, you ought to dispel the darkness. If God tells you to pray for the place that he has sown you into, pray for it. If he tells you to open your mouth and witness, open your mouth and witness. If God tells you whatever he tells you to do, you are to have a positive influence on the ground that Jesus has sown you into. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. They ought to know you walked into the room. They ought to know that you were there when you leave. They ought to be able to see, hey, evil that would have been did not happen because that person was here. Darkness that used to be here has been dispelled because of the light. I wish you could hear some of the calls I get from the radio program. People calling and saying, I had a woman call last week. She said, I was just walking through our church and I heard your voice. I didn't know where you were coming from. So I looked around and found the room where the radio was on. Went in there and sat down and the Word of God just began to minister to me and I took a bunch of notes and God, and said, my husband needs what you preach because he's a pastor and he needs to preach about desperate households. Send me all those tapes. And I thought, you know, there we were on radio. She's just walking through her church building and the light started coming out of the radio through the Word of God. And what we did was we got calls from Sherman, from McKinney, from Mansfield, from, I mean, everywhere, folks. The light is going because when you share the Word of God, the light shines, and it shines in the darkness. And where it shines, darkness can't stay. So Jesus sows us into the ground wherever we are, and he says, now you be light and you be salt. And you pray, and you share me, and you uh, uh, minister to people in love, and you walk like me, and you talk like me, and you be an influence in the ground that I sent you in. Don't let worries stop you. Don't let unbelief stop you. Don't let fear stop you. You be a positive influence for the kingdom of God wherever you are. If it's in jail, be an influence. We've gotten calls. We've gotten letters from the prisons around here. We're listening to you in the prison. Well, if you hear this prisoner, where? Wherever you are, blossom where you've been planted because you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth right there in the jail. (laughs) I know that's true. Now, notice this. As the sower was sowing, it says that an enemy was watching. An enemy was watching his effort. And stepped in to hinder and spoil his purpose. Now Jesus is revealing something to us about the enemy of our soul. He says, here's Jesus, the Son of God, sowing you and me into the kingdom. Sowing us into the world. Sowing us as kingdom seed. Be salt. Be light. 
influence the ground I sow you into. And right there in the shadows, Jesus said, there's an enemy watching. There is an enemy watching. He's watching me sow you where I sow you. He's watching you go into the ground and he knows that I have sown you that you would bring forth fruit. And he wants to spoil my purpose. He wants to sabotage your potential as a seed. Notice the enemy, what he did not do. He didn't step in and try pulling up the wheat. He didn't go in and start stomping all over it in anger. No, he did something far more diabolical than that. It says he imitated the sower and sowed tares among the wheat weeds among the seeds. He said, if I'm going to sabotage their potential, if I'm going to influence them negatively, if I'm going to stop the growth of this kingdom seed, the most diabolically effective thing I can do is imitate the sower of the good seed. And I'm going to sow tares right next to the wheat. Now, why Jesus in this parable is exposing the devil's best method is because you and I need to realize that the enemy is still the same way today. If he wants to stop you, his best way of stopping you is to bring a tear right next to you. Why tears? Why tears? What was the reason for tears? Because tears or darnell, they were called way back then, look exactly like wheat. Tears look just like wheat. Even experts can't tell tares from real wheat until it's full grown. You know, I think of the Bible where Paul says that the enemy can become even an angel of light. He can take on the appearance of even an angel of light. He can look like an angel of God. He can masquerade himself as an angel of God. Folks, I want to tell you today that the enemy of our soul, the real devil, is not some little creature in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork running around trying to give you a flat tire or make something go bump in the night. No. The enemy of your soul is a master masquerader. He disguises himself. He makes himself look right when he's wrong, good when he's bad, godly when he's not. He's a master disguiser. That's the best way he knows to get into the church, into our lives, and grow up right next to us, infiltrate our world, and then destroy it from within. He's sowing the tares, Jesus said, right next to the wheat. The Greek language suggests alongside, right next to. You got a tear right here. Now, you know, uh, I was going out the other day to, to mow my lawn or look at it. It was just about to get mowed, and I was looking, and I saw, that you know, we pr planted beautiful Bermuda grass years and years ago. And all of a sudden, here's these weeds out there. Where'd these weeds come from? Where'd those weeds come from? I mean, I didn't plant those weeds. I planted Bermuda. You know how those weeds got there? A wind blew them, sowed the seed, and sowed it right next to my Bermuda grass. And if I don't handle those weeds, they're going to choke out the real thing and take over that yard. That's exactly what the enemy does. Now, the flip side is, me and Kathy today, as we were driving to church, I noticed alongside the highway, and you've all seen this, there where there was a bunch of dead grass and dirt and just nothing to write home about, suddenly there was this beautiful spray of blue and white and red flowers and yellow flowers right there 
in the middle of a bunch of dead grass and dirt. And you think, where did that come from? I'm going to tell you where they came from. The wind blew and carried those seeds and dropped them right in the middle of death. And in the middle of death, these beautiful flowers grew up. Now, you know what you are? You are that spray of beautiful flowers. And the Holy Ghost has got his hand on you. And he's going to carry you and drop you right in the middle of death, right in the middle of decay, right in the middle of desperation. And he's going to say, blossom where you are planted, grow. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And I've sown you to go out there and make a difference in the ground. You fall in. If you say, pastor, I'm in a terrible situation. Praise God. It must be he wants you to really shine. It must be he wants you to really stand out as a child of God. Because we're in a battle, wheat against tares, tares against wheat. Because growing right next to the wheat, so close to it that it looks like the real thing, seems like the real thing, appears like the real thing, that it causes widespread deception. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to confuse the good with the bad, the right from the wrong. He wants to make right look wrong and wrong look right, good look bad and bad look good. He wants to have those tares growing right up next to the wheat so that nobody can tell the difference and it causes great confusion. Well, they look fine to me. They look like tares, but when they grow up and fully mature, then the story is told. Have you ever walked with somebody? Have you ever been around somebody? Have you ever been in a situation where they were talking the talk, looked religious, carried themselves regally, seemed to know all the right things to say? It looked right. It seemed right. But as time went by, one day you looked over and said, I believe that's a tear. I believe that's a tear. And you know what tears do? Tears tear down. Tears tear down the real thing. And so here's, he sows the bad right next to the good. And it's so subtle that sometimes you can't tell them apart until time reveals the fruit. Then we see it for what it is. And we say with Jesus, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. This is the work of the enemy. I can't believe that person wasn't real. I can't believe that church wasn't really walking with God. I can't believe that that denomination was not true to the word. I can't believe that what I thought was real, what I thought was genuine, what I thought was authentic, now that I've seen it grow up, I realize it was a tear. It may appear right. Paul said in the last days, there's going to be a group of people having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They're going to have the form. They're going to have the talk down. They're going to have the way to carry themselves like religious people down. They're going to have the right things to say. They're going to know the Bible. They're, they're going to look like the real thing. They've got a form of godliness, but suddenly you realize this is a terror because they don't believe in the blood. They don't believe in the word. They don't believe in the power of God. It was all a show. They were drawn to religion and not relationship. They were drawn to the form, but not the life. This is not real. Did you know that all over America right now, the greatest harvest field in the West, I believe, is the church? If somebody was to say to me, Pastor Jeff, you can preach the gospel the rest of your life. We will assure you, great crowds, if you'll just go out and preach John 3, 16, where do you want to go? One of the first places I would say is, take me to the church. Take me to the church. 
because you'd have a whole bunch of people saved. Because you know what our churches are full of? Terrors. And I'm not saying that negatively. I love them. My heart goes out to them. But somehow they've been able to bypass being born again. Somehow they got the form without the life. Somehow they got the appearance without the reality. Somehow they missed it. And they need to hear, He loves you. He died for you. His blood was shed for your sins. You've got to repent. You've got to receive Him into your heart. And if you do, the seed will go into your heart and you will be born again, a child of God. If you don't, you're lost. They need to hear something straight and simple like that. And they would flood in by the droves. Do you know that every single week, Preachers stand behind pulpits that are tares. They are not wheat. They have never been born again. I remember hearing Billy Graham say, we have had so many preachers who have come down in our crusades and given their hearts to Jesus Christ and been saved and born again who were all their lives in ministry but never knew the life. They grow up right next to you. They're looking at you through the TV. They write books. They are accepted by the real church. Jesus said they have a way of getting right in there with you, right alongside, until finally you say, ah, that's not even real. An enemy has done this. They look right. It says that when Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, she took and she ate. Listen to those adjectives, good, pleasant, and desirable, but a terror still. When I was a little kid, I had a friend. We used to love going out in the woods and and hunting down critters and, and making prints of animal tracks and hunting for arrowheads and, and all the things that boys like to do. And one day we were in a creek, had great big limestone walls. And I can remember we were walking through this creek and we were tracking some animal prints. And I saw something shiny and glittery coming at me out of the water. And I reached down and I picked it up and I yelled out to my friend, I found gold. I have found gold. Daryl, look at this. It's gold. He came over and said, oh man, we're rich. We can move out of our homes. We can buy our parents a brand new house and then we can move out. I mean, we had big plans. I went looking for more, found a few more of them, stuffed them in my pocket, walked home, walked in and told my mom and dad, dad, guess what? I found gold. My dad smiled. Really? Where was it? Down in the creek. You know, as if any gold is going to be down in the backyard creek. Really? Can I see it? I said, yeah, look at this. I mean, in a rock, it was little chunks of gold. It shined like gold, glistened in the sun like gold. I just knew that it was gold. He took it and he said, Jeffrey, I hate to tell you, this is fool's gold. (laughs) Fool's gold? What do you mean by that? I mean, you're the fool. (laughs) Because you don't have any gold. It's called pyrite. And it's fool's gold. And I've thought about that so much in the years that have gone by since then and how often we think we have found real gold and it really turns out to be fool's gold. You think you found a real relationship and it turns out to be fool's gold. You think you found a faith that'll get you to heaven and it turns out it was fool's gold. You latch on to religion, think you found gold, but it's really fool's gold. Can I tell you, there's only one real gold. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may not be wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked any longer. And what was the gold? The gold was the gospel. And at the center of the gospel is the real gold, the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in a field. His name is Jesus Christ. If you've got Jesus Christ in your heart, you don't have any fool's gold. You've got the real McCoy. 
What is some of the fool's gold that Jesus sows into our lives? What are some of the terrors? Well, people are some of the terrors that the enemy will sow into our lives. You've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. When God wants to bless you, he sows a person into your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he sows a person into your life. Both are sowers. Jesus said, I'm a sower, and the enemy is mimicking me. He sows. Ananias and Sapphira were right in the middle of the church until they lied to the Holy Ghost and dropped dead. Demas walked side by side with Paul and yet finally walked away, and Paul said he loved this present world. He was a terror. Judas walked with Jesus, saw him walk on the water, saw him raise the dead, heard his marvelous, extraordinary, magnificent teachings, and yet Judas was plotting to take away Jesus' life. Simon the sorcerer pretended to repent and tried to purchase the power of God, but he could not do it because he was not really a believer. He said he'd repented, but he was fake. He was a terror. Paul predicted that in the last days, they'd have a form of godliness, but they would deny its power. They would be terrors, terrors among the wheat. But, but Satan not only sows people but he also sows teachings and doctrines that look and sound so much like the real thing. They grow up side by side with the wheat until time and fruit expose what they really are. Listen, I got news for you today, church. Just because it says praise the Lord doesn't mean it's wheat. Just because it's in the church doesn't mean it's wheat. Just because it's got the name of a denomination on a sign outside doesn't mean it's wheat. Galatians, the book of Galatians, growing up right next to the gospel of saved by grace alone were teachers in the early church saying, you got to go back to Old Testament law and mix Old Testament law with New Testament truth to be saved. Paul had a fit. He wrote to them and said, who has bewitched you? Terrors among the wheat. In Colossians, Paul said, don't let anyone spoil you, ruin you, ruin your faith, rot your faith through worldly philosophies that don't promote Jesus Christ. Because there are things that sound good, they sound right, but when you mix them with the gospel, they spoil the simplicity that is in Jesus. And that's what the tares are designed to do. Tares tear down what is good. When you're being told by somebody supposedly representing the church that you should accept homosexuality as a normal, acceptable lifestyle, that there are many ways to God, that we're all God's children, whether we've embraced Christ or not, that the Bible is really a book of stories and fables that we can learn neat little lessons from, but it's not really the Word of God, that we should be tolerant of every manner of sin because that's what Jesus did. You're looking at tares sown among among the wheat. We've got to get back to what the Word of God says and separate terror teaching and terror personalities from the real thing. Listen, Jesus is at the door. He's about to split the sky again. We're about to hear the sound of the trumpet. We don't need to be fooling with false teaching and people who proclaim to know Him and do not. We need the real thing. Let's seek the Lord with all of our heart. He say, well, pastor, what do I do with these terrors that are growing up all around me? How many of you can say, I know of a few terrors that are in my world. They're over here. They're over there. <laughs> Somebody said in between services, lions, tigers, and terrors. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus said, here's what you do about the terrors. Don't tear up the terrors. Just keep sowing the seed. It's not your job to tear up terrors. 
It's your job to sow the seed. Sometimes you do more harm than good if you go on a tear to tear up the tares. And I'm going to tell you, I've been a tear hunter before. And I know there's no fruit in tear hunting. <gasps> do they believe? Do they really believe? Are they right? Are they right? Listen, sometimes we don't know who's right. The message of the parable is that the righteous will be surrounded by the wicked until Jesus comes. You just keep sowing the word of God anyway. Just keep sowing the word. Use faith, not force. Prayer, not pressure. And love, not lightning. When I first got saved, I thought it was my mission to convert the whole world. I'd love to convert the whole world, but probably not going to. I am going to see a lot of people come to Jesus, but I'm not going to convert the whole world. But I thought I was called to convert the whole world. I would stop people on sidewalks, on streets, on their way to work. Are you saved? No, I'm not saved. What do you mean saved? Well, I mean, if you accept Jesus in your heart, I don't need to accept Jesus into my heart. And I, and I just got to where I was so bold, I would say, well, go to hell then if you want to. <laughs> they would get belligerent with me. And so I would say, I would say, well, then go to hell if you want to. Yeah, you call that the cage stage. In the cage stage, you need to put somebody in the cage till they get over it, then let them out. But I, I didn't stop. That's what I did. And I thought, I'm going to convert the whole world. Surely the whole world needs to know the reality that I found in Jesus Christ. And you know what I came to? I can't change anybody. All I can do is just minister the Word. And so I quit trying. I left my family alone. They'd see me coming, and everybody would go into their own room. Here he comes. Christmas was a family time for years until I got saved. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, and so I was an obnoxious witness without meaning to be. I had good intent. My heart was good. But I was young and green and wild, hair down to here, 130 pounds soaking wet. And you were scared if you saw me coming, much less what I had to say. And so, but I learned. I learned, you know, the word works all on its own. And, and, and with some people, you ought to pray for them. Other people, you should say something. Other people, you shouldn't say anything. There are times you should use wisdom all the time, use it. And so I've learned, I've learned, it's not my calling to hunt tares down and bring everybody to Jesus. You sow the word. You love them. You pray for them. And you just sow the word. There are people that have been in my life all my life. They've heard my testimony, heard me witness. Some of them have never come to Jesus. And you know what? I don't talk to them about it anymore. I just love them when I see them. Because I know the word works. I was with a pastor friend just a couple of nights ago who told me about a person that just joined their church. And he said, they just joined, and here's how they joined. He said, 21 years ago, somebody knocked on their door and invited them to their church. And we didn't care anything about going back then. We were wild. We were on drugs. We were doing all these different things. So we didn't go. 21 years later, I found myself in a crisis in my own life. And that invitation from 21 years ago floated into my head. You want to come to church? And they've been a terror all these years, literally, in both senses of the word. And, and so just so happened that the neighbor that invited them still lived there. So 21 years later, they knocked on the door and said, where'd you say that church was? <laughs> yeah. The seed sown. And so this 
seed that lived next door to them, this kingdom seed, knew, okay, we sowed the seed, now let's just leave it alone. Well, that seed sat dormant for years and years and years, 21 years later. Where'd you say that church was? So they took them to church, and the guy went down into the altar and gave his heart to Christ that day. A few months later, was in a motorcycle accident and killed. And his wife is still in the church. And she said, look how God worked. Somebody sowed a seed, then they watered it with patience patience and they let the seed lie dormant within them and they just kept on seeking god next door kept on living for the lord they didn't make a tyrant out of themselves didn't make it a, a nuisance of themselves just knew that they had told them and invited them and left them alone and now my husband months before his death came to jesus and i know where he is now and now she's living for the lord and involved in street ministry you never know you never know but the whole deal is jesus is saying they're going to grow up right next to you they're going to be all around you just keep on sowing the seed and live for the kingdom, and you will bring forth patience. Now, here's the nuggets from this parable, and I'm going to close. Satan's best method of deception is imitation. It's imitation. Second, God uses time to reveal whether something was sown by him or sown by the devil. Jesus said the fruit it produces will tell the story. By their fruit, you will know them. Every good tree that bears good fruit, but a bad tree, Jesus said, bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that is not, does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the fruit that they finally develop, you will know them. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, but they will not enter the kingdom because they were never my children. They had the form without the life, the appearance without the reality. So remember, God uses time to reveal. If you're wondering if something is a terror, step back and say, Lord, is that a terror? Show me. Is that teaching a terror? Is that person real? Are they not real? Is their faith genuine? Or should I distance myself some? He'll show you. I believe he will. You pray about it, the day will come. Or it's okay. It's better to be a seed sower and leave the terrors with God. Don't be sidetracked, overly aggravated, or distracted by terrors. Just keep sowing. And God will one day soon separate all the terrors from the wheat. Only He knows who really is and who really isn't. Can we stand together? Father, I just thank you today that the Word lives and it will do what it's sent forth to accomplish. Lord, we give to you the people in our lives that we strongly suspect don't know you at all. There are tares growing up among the wheat. And Lord, we give to you the teachings that might be terror teachings and not real. We give to you the things in our own lives that might be terrors and not real, even though we think now they look real. They might be terrors. Lord, only you know fully what is a terror and what is real, what's a weed and what is the seed. So, Lord, we ask you to give us discernment on this, and we ask you to help us to prepare our lives for the coming again of Jesus. We are wheat among a world of terrors. Help us, Lord, to see thousands of terrors born again. We will not be judgmental nor condemning 
of what we think is a terror. We'll just pray and believe God to do the work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, Steve, before we go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Prepare.